Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program. The Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools are here every Saturday, 12 noon on the dot, hopefully, and we are here to promote and to defend public education. That's education that's public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it's publicly accessible for all children. All children are equal, we believe, and all children should equally be given educational opportunity, and that can only happen in a public system that is open to all children without fear or favour. Public education should also be public in ownership and control. We shouldn't be beholden to public-private partnerships. And it is the only one that should be given public money because it's the only one that is publicly accountable. Back in the day, back in the 19th century, our governments worked out that this was the only way to do things. But unfortunately, in the last 40 years, things have been rather different. And it appeared for some time, in the last 10 years certainly, that privatisation was very much on not just the government's DNA, but on the agenda But when you have a large number of children in a nation, the private education system cannot, will not and can never do the job of educating all the children. And this is now happening. Here's our press release 694, which is uh, on our website at www.adogs.info. And public school enrolments, we find have increased for the first time in 40 years. Now, there's a bit of history behind this. There has been immigration. We're not yet at Mr Trump's position. And people are having children. Again, the birth rate was down for a while while the young people tried to get themselves houses. Some of them have given up, but they're still having the children regardless. And these children were in the labour wards a few years ago too. Now their parents are seeking to enrol them in schools, public schools, local, community, public schools. And the schools are not there yet. The private sector, which has been favoured, cannot and will not do the job. So public education is in demand but not supply. Ho-hum, this has all happened before. 
It happened after the Second World War when the baby boomers entered school. But in the 1960s, the Catholic Church gained influence in the Labor Party and later the Liberal Party, as we can see with Mr Abbott. The Church gained state aid for their schools and the other churches, abandoning their century-old principles, went along to the public treasury for the ride. The Church argued for state aid on religious and economic grounds, but the hierarchy wished to stop the leakage of an even higher percentage of Catholic children into public schools. Poor Catholic children have always attended public schools in Australia. They still do. All children are welcome there. A heavily weakened needs policy was introduced by the Carmel Committee or the Schools Commission in 1973 under the Whitland Government and a bit of much-needed money, crumbs from the table of the wealthy private sector, trickled into public schools in those years. Welcoming the money, some state school opponents of state aid became collaborators with the state aiders. But the dogs never, never collaborated with them. The high point of private school enrolment leakage into the public sector, that is, the high point of enrolment in the public sector, was 1977 because there had always been a private sector, but it was separate and it funded itself. In 1977, 79% of Australian children were in public schools. And then Peter Tannock, who's now later Professor Peter Tannock, well, I think he's a papal knight now, sir, whatever the papal knighthood is, Peter Tannock, received the chairmanship of the Schools Commission. The needs policy very openly became the greeds policy, although it always had been. And by 1984, there actually were two dissenting reports from state school representatives on the Schools Commission. So the Schools Commission was abandoned. It had outlived its usefulness. It was supposed to be used to make the state school people collaborate. And they were no longer playing ball. But... With the Schools Commission gone, even more money was transferred to the private sector and new so-called Christian schools, I call them so-called Christian schools of all shades and peculiarities, as well as Steiner schools and um, Hairy Christian schools, you name it, we had these schools. They sprang up like mushrooms in spring. Billions of dollars and 40 years later, the percentage of children in non-sectarian public schools in Australia is less than two-thirds of the school population. But please note that it's take billions of dollars and 40 years to get it from 79% down to about 65%. But in spite of the missing billions in state aid, in spite of the abandonment of the Gonski reforms, the times and the enrolment trends are changing. According to Trevor Cobald from Save Our Schools, new school enrolment data show a reversal of the steady drift of students from the public to the private sector over the past 40 years. Figures released by the Australian Bureau of Statistics last week show that the share of public school enrolments increased in 2016. 
And this is the first time the public school share has increased since 1977. Because even though they gave state aid from 1969 to 1977, the people still sent their children to public schools. Now, the Catholic share fell from 20.59% in 2012 to 20.25% in 2016, while the share of independent, so-called, so-called independent schools, increased from 14.27% to 14.44%. The increase in the government school share follows this period of decline from 1977 to 2014, where the share fell from that 79% in 77 to 65% in 2014. And the annual declines over this period averaged about 0.4 percentage points each year. And it took billions and billions of dollars, dear listeners, to do that. The figures show different trends in primary and secondary school enrolments. Public primary school enrolments have increased their share of enrolments from 68.87% in 2012 to 69.87% in 2016, where the Catholic share fell from 19.38% to 18.61%. The so-called independent school sector also fell in last, the last couple of years from 11.82% in 2014 to 11.52% in 2016. So the big increase in public school enrolments is occurring more in the pri- primary school sector than the secondary school sector because the public school share of secondary enrolments has continued to fall, although the size of the decrease has been much smaller like more in later years. Uh, and there are the figures there. It's, it's important not to read too much into small changes, but the new figures do suggest a significant trend in school enrolments because families seem to be more inclined to enrol their children in public schools than for many decades. So why? There's increasing awareness in the community there's little academic advantage in attending private schools. And there's not that much advantage in the old school tie anymore. Public schools achieve similar results to private schools for a given socioeconomic background of parents. And research findings consistently show that students from a given socioeconomic background achieve similar results in public and private schools, while increasing awareness of these findings may be affecting decisions about whether parents want to enrol their children in private schools. In major cities in particular, where public schools were closed in the 1990s, here in in, uh, Victoria we had to put up with Mr Kennan, and in Sydney they had to put up with the Griner government. The departments of education are struggling now to keep up with demand. And according to Eric Bagshaw in the Guardian newspaper and also in the Sydney Morning Herald and Fairfax papers, over the next 10 years, demand for schools across Sydney is almost going to double. There's been a New South Wales upper house inquiry into inner city schools and it's heard that Sydney is facing a once in a generation enrolment surge and the department just can't keep up with demand. Now, the final report of this inquiry was tabled on the 13th of February last 
and the department's problems have been exacerbated by the simple fact that de- developers have built large numbers of apartments and um, townhouses and residents have moved in, they've had children and the only land available often requires expensive detoxification. And so the expenses of actually putting schools in the inner city areas has increased because the only land available um, has been used for pretty toxic purposes in the past. Now, down here in Melbourne, of course, the people in the inner city and also in the developing areas know what we're talking about here. And they'll be interested to hear uh, this uh, Sydney person, the Sydney Morning Herald gentleman, talking about what has been happen- happening in Sydney with a few more facts and figures. So over to this statement. The number of school children running through the gates of Sydney schools is set to move from a trickle into a flood over the next decade. New data from the Department of Planning and Department of Education, combined by Fairfax Media, shows that more children than ever will take their seats in classrooms from Waverley to Camden. In the middle of it all, the City of Sydney will see a 41% growth in school-aged children over the next decade. No part of metropolitan Sydney will be untouched by the upswing in enrolments, which tends to go in cycles. Two decades ago, poor planning from the Coalition Griner government saw up to eight schools in the northern Sydney region close. Fast forward today and the already overcrowded public schools of northern Sydney around Willoughby have continued to grow without relent, up 17% since 2012. For parents in the area, little relief is in sight after delays in building a new public school at Linfield and a projected growth rate of more than 12% for the region. In the east, Waverley has seen an explosion in student numbers, surging 22% in the past four years, the highest figure in the state. Five schools in the area now serve more than 2,500 students, compared with fewer than 1,900 four years ago. In total, there are now more than 790,000 students in public schools across New South Wales. The Australian Council for Educational Research says we need to build 385 classrooms every year for the next decade. Over the last four years, the government has spent $4 billion to provide over 900 new permanent classrooms. But it seems the surge in investment might not be quite enough to keep up with demand. The biggest test will come when the government's plethora of multi-billion dollar deals come on stream within the next decade. 16,000 residences will be built around the Bays Precinct, while 62,000 people look set to move into Green Square. We haven't seen a school that can cope with that kind of demand yet. Well, that's enough for the moment about the uh, problems that the public school uh, system has got in supplying the overarching demand of parents who realise that when you're on a good thing, you demand it, whether or not the supply is there. And let's see how our government's or whether our governments can actually govern and look after the children of the next generation. But let's have a bit of a break for some music, and then Robert will come back with some interesting material.
The Thinkers and Makers Salon is a monthly event with special guests, jam sessions and an open mic segment set to provoke discussion, communicate experience and inspire thoughtful debate. It's curated by Noor Shikambi and hosted by Sukshi Kalasa. On Thursday the 2nd of March, join Nazid Kimi, Ghassan Haj, Miss Safar and Fiona Boyd for the inaugural event. The Thinkers and Makers Salon, on the first Thursday of each month, 7 to 9pm at The Good Room, 390A Ligon Street, Brunswick East. Go to thefoundlingarchive.org.au for more information and bookings. The Foundling Archive is a 3CR supporter. Join the International Women's Day Rally on Wednesday the 8th of March at 5.30pm starting at Parliament House and finishing at Trades Hall for an after party. International Women's Day sparked the Russian Revolution 100 years ago and in honour and memory of our sisters then who took strike action over bread, we raised the demand, peace, bread and land. Join us for the IWD Rally on Wednesday, March the 8th at 5.30pm at Parliament House. Contact the women's team at Trades Hall for more details or visit unionwomen.org.au. The IWD Collective, Victoria Trades Hall Council and the Trades Hall Women's Team are 3CR supporters. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. That was Louis-Nicolas Clermont-Bronze, uh, 1676 to 1749, um, from his organ book. That was his prelude on the harpsichord, or as a friend of mine used to call it, the hapisichord. Um, nevertheless, uh, you are surprisingly, after such a beautiful rendition by David Kinsella 
of that prelude. Uh, you're listening to the Dogs Program, the Defenders of Government Schools, D-O-G-S, the Dogs. Um, Jean's been talking about the, the woes of Sydney in terms of, well, I suppose in the free market you call it supply and demand. In a democracy you actually call it uh, fulfilling the needs of the people because that's what democracy is supposed to do. And I'm talking about democracies rather than free markets because it's a very interesting article in... Um, New York Times magazine are relating specifically to this um, and relating specifically to what's going on in America when it comes not just to the notion of what public is and private is, but what public schools are and what private schools are in the United States. What they have been, um, what they mean, and what currently is going on in that situation. It's an article by Nicole Hannah-Jones, written oh, a couple of days ago now, as I said, for the New York Times magazine. And the article's entitled, Have We Lost Sight of the Promise of Public Schools? Um, Now, Nicole Hannah-Jones doesn't just talk about what the concept of public school is, but what the concept of public means and what education means within that construct of what public is in a democracy. And actually, it's actually relating to specifically Betsy DeVos's confirmation as the Secretary of Education. And when that happened, a hashtag spread across Twitter... And the hashtag was public schools proud. And parents and teachers tweeted photos of their kids studying, performing, eating lunch together. People of all races tweeted about how public schools changed them, saved them and helped them to succeed. The hashtag public schools proud and storytelling was a rebuttal to DeVos, who called traditional public schools a dead end and who bankrolled efforts to pass reforms in Michigan, which is where she lives, that would funnel public funds, that is taxpayers' funds, in the form of vouchers into religious and privately operated schools. Now, I'll come back to the concept of religion and private operation and education um, in the United States in a little while, but this this is functionally what she's doing. Now, the tweet... uh, railed against DeVos's labelling of public schools as an industry that needed to adopt free market principles of comp- competition and choice. This hashtag was seen as an effort to show that public schools still mattered. But the enthusiastic defence obscured actually a larger truth in the United States. We began moving away from the public in public education a long time ago in the United States, says this author. In fact, treating public schools like a business these days is largely a matter of fact in many places. Parents have pushed for school choice policies that encourage shopping for public schools that they hope will give their children an advantage for the the expansion of a charter school that are run by private organisations with public funds. Now, large numbers of public schools in the United States have selective admission policies that keep most kids out. And parents pay top dollar to buy into neighbourhoods zoned to good public schools that can be an exclusive as private ones. Uh, does this ring any bells to you, Jean, to what's going on in Australia with, um, well, not so, I wouldn't say selective public schools, but um, certainly in Melbourne there's a few public schools where, um, well, shall we say the property prices for their zoning are, 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 are very much inflated. Just have a look at domain uh, and the real estate pages and how they actually tell parents where the enrolment arrangements are and where they should and shouldn't buy. 
That's true. So as is true in the US, it's true here, certainly in Melbourne and I'm sure Australia in general. But the glaring reality in America is, whether we're talking about schools or other institutions, it seems as if we've forgotten what public actually means. They're setting school against school, and I think this is very, very sad indeed. Now, the word itself is derived from a Latin word. Let's go back to etymology. Publicus, meaning of the people. This concept, that the government belongs to the people and the government should provide for the good of the people, was foundational to the world's nascent democracies, where once citizens paid taxes to the monarchy in the hope that it would serve the public too, in democracies they paid taxes directly for infrastructure and institutions that benefited society as a whole. The tax dollars of ancient Athenians, and indeed ancient Romans, built Rome, roads and aqueducts, but they also provided free meals for widows of, those husband, of their husbands who had died in various wars. Public stood not just for something that was financed with the tax dollars of the citizen, but for a common ownership of institutions and for a society that privileged the common good over individual advancements. I'll say that again. Public is privileging the common good over individual advancement. Early on, it was this investment in public institutions that set America apart from other countries. Public hospitals ensured that even the indigent received good medical care. Health problems, for some, could turn into epidemics for us all. That was the logic. Public parks gave access to the great outdoors, not just to the wealthy who could retreat to their country estates, but to the masses in the nation's cities. Every state invested in public universities. Public schools became widespread in the 1800s, not to provide an advantage for particular individuals, but with the understanding that shuffling the wealthy and the working class together, though not black Americans and other racial minorities, would create a common sense of citizenship and national identity, and it would tie together the fates of the haves and the have-nots, and the doing so benefited the nation. A sense of the public good was a unifying force because it meant that the rich and the poor the powerful and the meek, shared the spoils as well as the burdens of this messy democracy called America. Now, achieving this has never been an easy feat. The tension between individual striving and the common good, between the beliefs that strong government protects and provides for its citizens and that big government leads to tyranny, has always existed in America. As a result, support for public institutions and expansive governments have ebbed and flowed. When Franklin Delano Roosevelt, in response to the Great Depression, ushered through the biggest expansion of federal programs in, in the nation's or in, in America's history, he did so because he thought that government regulation was necessary to empower common people against corporations and banks. But also that government should provide certain protections for its citizens. Under the New Deal... Um, America got social security and unemployment insurance. They got federal housing projects. Public housing meant quality of dwellings for the nation's working people. Federal works projects employed millions of -of out-of-work Americans and brought infrastructure to communities that had not been able to pay for it on their own. At the same time, the New Deal stoked the ire of small government, anti-regulation minorities who began to push back 
though it would take some decades before their views became mainstream. These small government, anti-regulation minorities, promoted free market principles, deregulation, and the privatisation of functions normally handled by the government and sought to define all things, like the benefits of education, strictly in terms of economic value. Nonetheless, Roosevelt's government expansion was widely supported at the time, and Americans elected him to an unprecedented four terms as president. But the broad support of public programs and institutions hinged on a narrow definition of what the public was. And back in those days, that was white Americans. To get his New Deal passed, Roosevelt compromised with the white Southerners in the Congress. Much of the legislation either explicitly or implicitly discriminated against black citizens, denying them many of the benefits. Now, as the civil rights movement gained ground in the 1950s and the 1960s, however, a series of court rulings and new laws ensured that black Americans now had the same legal rights to public schools, libraries, parks and swimming pools as white Americans. But as black Americans became part of the public, white Americans began to pull away. Instead of sharing their public pools with black residents, whose tax dollars had also paid for them, white Americans founded private clubs, often with public funds, or withdrew behind their fences where they dug their own pools. Public housing was once seen as a community good that drew presidents to photo opportunities. But after federal housing policies helped white Americans buy their own homes in the suburbs, black Americans, who could not get government-subsidised mortgages, languished in public housing, which became stigmatised. Where once public transportation showed a city's forward progress, white communities began to fight its expansion, fearing public transport would give unwanted people access to white enclaves. And white Americans began to withdraw from public schools or move away from school districts with large numbers of black children once the courts started mandating desegregation. Some communities shuttered public schools together rather than allow black children to share the publicly funded schools with white children. The very voucher movement that is at the heart of DeVos's educational ideas in 2017 was born of white opposition to school desegregation, as state and local governments offered white children vouchers to pay for private schools, known at the time as segregation academies, that sprouted across the south of America after the Supreme Court struck down the school segregation in 1954. It's also promoted by the Catholic Church. Mm. In the United States? Well, I believe so, yes, very mm. much so. Mm. Now, what has been enjoyed as a public thing by white citizens became a place of forced encounter with other people for whom they wanted to be separate. Now, that's quoting Bonnie Honig, a professor of political science and modern culture and media at the Brown University and author of the forthcoming book Public Things, Democracy in Despair. She also said, The attractiveness of private schools and other forms of privatisation are not just driven by economisation, but by the desire to control the community with which you interact. Now, even when they fail, the guiding values of public institutions, 
of the public good are equality and justice. The guiding value of the free market is profit. The for-profit charters DeVos helped expand have not provided an appreciably better education for Detroit's children. Yet they've continued to expand because they are profitable. Or as Tom Watkins, Michigan's former education superintendent, said, and I quote, In a number of cases, people are making boatloads of money and the kids aren't getting better educated. Now, democracy works only if those who have the money or the power to opt out of public things choose instead to opt in for the common good. It's called a social contract. And we've seen what happens in cities where the social contract is broken. White residents vote against tax hikes to fund schools where they don't send their children. Parks go untended and libraries shutter up because affluent people feel no obligation to help pay for things that they don't need. The existence of public things, to meet each other, to fight about, to pay for together, to enjoy, to complain about, this is absolutely indispensable to democratic life, Professor Hooning says. Now if there is hope of a renewal in our belief in public institutions and a common good, it may reside in the public school. In America, nine of ten children attend public school. A rate of petition, a rate of participation that few, if any other public bodies, can claim. The schools, as segregated as many are, remain one of the few institutions where Americans of different classes and races mix. A vast multiracial, socio-economically diverse defence of public schools that DeVos set off may show that we have not yet given up on the ideals of the public. And it means that maybe we have not yet given up on, on the idea of us, on the, on the idea of ourselves in America, and indeed I would suggest also here in Australia. Now I'll be continuing on not as to discuss not the defence of public institutions as that article written by Nicholas Hannah-Jones from the New York um, Times magazine um, so eloquently defends, but on what attacks are going on over in America and indeed, as Jean has already outlined, here in Australia. But I think we shall return uh, to David Kinsella's harpsichord playing on his um, uh, CD, Eloquence, um, uh, that is uh, Louis-Nicolas Clermont and some more harpsichord. <laughs> Thank you. 
Tara for the harpsichord. That wasn't a current. That wasn't a sarabon. That wasn't a gig. That was an alamond. Yeah, second movement there from his suite in C major. Um, now, to return to probably less pleasant things, uh, to uh, the, Ameri- the, uh, the attack on public education in America. There is a sadness to it, um, an, an unsophistication to it. And people who wish to attack the public education system have become emboldened. Um, on the website Politico, uh, Benjamin uh, Wormund um, has written a very interesting article and pulled together some interesting research about Betsy DeVos, as we have covered, but I think it's worth covering again, because Betsy DeVos is interested in, um, and very specifically, using the education system of America to advance God's kingdom. Nothing more and nothing less. She's not hiding behind anything. She's saying, that's what I, as the Education Secretary of, of America, want to do. I want to advance God's kingdom. That actually will be disaster for God's kingdom. <laughs> oh, we can't right. impose belief systems on people. Well, I'm not... The last me. thing Christ would have done. <laughs> well, I'm not getting into a theological discussion about what God's kingdom is, Jane. Although, um, I think, I'm not pretty sure that Betsy DeVos doesn't know what it is. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that she knows. I have never met her. I'd like to meet her, actually. She thinks it looks like Costco. Yeah, God's kingdom, a giant place with lots of fluorescent lights and shiny things and big boxes with nice and things in them. pointless stuff to buy. Yeah. Well, anyway, she's, she's a billionaire. Um... So she can say what she wants, I suppose, and I have to listen because she's a billionaire. She's a robber baron, oh, baroness. Well, yeah, for all those Amway salespeople out there, yeah, now you know where your money goes. Yeah. Right, so Betsy DeVos said this um, some time ago, I have to admit, about 15 years ago, at a meeting called The Gathering, which is an annual conference of some of the country's wealthiest Christians. DeVos and her husband, Dick, were interviewed um, a year after voters rejected a Michigan ballot initiative to change the state's constitution to allow public money to be spent on private and religious schools, which DeVos had backed. Now, I'm sure this is this thing. Is the First Amendment, Jane? I'm not sure. Anyway, there's amendment about separation of religion and state over there. Very much so. Anyway, uh, the people of Michigan think that their constitution works and they didn't want that. DeVos wanted to thought that the constitution doesn't refer to her God. I'd like to say here that I have a friend, she's an Australian, she's in Australia at the moment, but she was the daughter of a missionary. She went to one of these uh, private Christian schools. To pay the fees, she cleaned the toilets. Um, but when they took state money with Mr. Bolt, this lady, uh, she stopped giving money to her old school because she believed in the separation of religion and the state. I just thought that was interesting. My opinion of her skyrocketed. Indeed. She actually was a Christian with principles. Well, particular principles that align with ours, um, which is good, because we like people that agree with us, as most people do. <laughs> now, um, Betsy DeVos said all these things in an interview, in an audio recording, which was obtained by the Politico website. And the couple, both of them, that's Betsy and Dick, Um, is candid about how their Christian faith drives their effort to reform America's education. School choice, they said, leads to, and I quote, greater kingdom gain. Um, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, a greater kingdom gain. I think what that means is more Christian people like them um, than than there were before. I don't know. The two also lament that public schools have displaced the church at the centre of communities. 
and they cite school choice as a way to reverse this troubling trend. So the school would no longer be at the centre of the community, and if the school was at the centre of the community, it would be a good God school in part of the kingdom, or something like that. Now this audio from this private gathering, although it's 15 years old, offers a rare behind-the-scenes glimpse of DeVos's personal views. Views that may guide her decision-making as the nation's top educational official. DeVos has repeatedly said she wants policies that give families choice about their children's education, a choice of public schools included, but her critics fear that her goal is to shift public funding from already beleaguered traditional public schools to private and religious schools. DeVos remains a harsh critic of traditional education systems, the one she now she heads up. Um, she calls them a monopoly and a dead end, but now she's the boss. Now, Reverend Robert A. Sirico, who's the head of the Action Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty, who describes himself as a close friend of Betsy DeVos, says, Dick and Betsy are not radical fundamentalists, in the hills kind of people, he says. They are not the kind of people who want to force their beliefs down anyone's throat. Okay. Now, DeVos's spokesperson refers questions to the Trump's transition team, which did not respond to any request for comment about this article. So um, Ms. DeVos doesn't want to talk about this. She says, go and talk to the president, and the president doesn't want to talk either. Now, the DeVos family are billionaires. But in the interview, Betsy DeVos said that rather than just give money to boost Christian schools... She's fighting to change the whole system because there aren't enough philanthropic dollars in America to fund what is currently the need in education. Betsy DeVos also described her efforts using biblical terms. And perhaps you can help me with this, Jane. I don't really know. Shephela um, is an area where battles, including between David and Goliath, were fought in the Old Testament. Does, does, does that mean anything to you? Well, David and Goliath made some, mean something, I suppose. Well, she, I think, considers herself to be David. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and, and all the public education system, that's Goliath. Oh. And that all happens at Shephela, I think. Is that in the Bible? Do you know Shephela? Anyway. She says, Our desire is to be in the Shephela and to confront the culture in which we all live today in ways that will continue to help advance God's kingdom, but not to stay in our own faith territory. Oh. I thought that God's kingdom uh, was not necessarily a thing of um, bricks and mortar, but was a thing of the spirit. I I don't understand uh, this lady. She's a very, a very. Um, <laughs> she's got her feet of clay on the ground. In, she's a materialist and, and, Christian. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Well, don't worry because um, her friends um, say she's nice. <laughs> Um, according to this article. Oh, I thought Those she was very sweet when when you saw her on television. She just she just eked out sweetness and goodness. Sickly sweet. Yeah, yes. Uh, yes, I, I yeah, thought well, she was quite scary. Um, but, but her friends, I mean, who say she's very nice, <laughs> um, they also acknowledge the policy she's likely to advance would benefit Christian schools. In fact, in fact... Um, the President of the United States of America's $20 billion school choice program that would allow low-income students to select private schools or charter schools was devised with the help of the advocacy group she put together before she became the boss of it. Right, well, let's go back to Reverend Robert Sirico. So he's one of her friends. He says what she wants to do is to make sure education is much more locally controlled. 
Okay, and she talks about, um, and it talks to DeVos about her dreams generally. She has dreams about this, which is nice, (laughs) while celebrating Thanksgiving with her family. That's nice. Um, He says, that is sensitive to localities, to states, to cities, to families. That's just going to naturally evolve, he says, at least in the great swathe of flyover America. That's going to involve religious education. Um, Well, I don't know about you, but that troubles me, especially she resents the fact that the the, um, secretary responsible for education in America resents the fact that schools are the centres of communities. She acknowledges that it's the case and resents it. She says, no, that's not good. Schools shouldn't be the centre of communities. Churches should be. Well, she's not the secretary for churches. No. <laughs> she's the secretary for schools. So I think um, it's not at all surprising that there was a great deal of resistance. Um, people who know the Constitution of the United States a great deal of resistance to her appointment. But she's there now, thanks to the Vice President. She's there, and those are her views. It's quite disturbing. The interesting thing was that the Democrats really put up a fight to um, have her rejected, and there were Republicans that uh, joined with the Democrats against her. Not enough. Enough Pence was given the uh, say-so, but they did. They did. They did indeed. We'll return with just a little bit more of the Dogs program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Also, um, we are the Defenders of Government Schools, the D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. You can check us out on our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. But we'll return after these messages. Camp Anarchy is happening again this Labor Day long weekend, March 11th to 13th, at the gorgeous Bush Camp at Camp Eureka in Yarra Junction. Get out of the city, camp or stay in cabins, share delicious meals, sing along by the campfire and paddle in the creek. Over the weekend there will be a program of workshops and skill shares. Childcare is provided and costs are kept to a minimum. Anyone interested in anarchist ideas is welcome. To find out more information, go to campanarchy.org. Camp Anarchy is a 3CR supporter. Yarra City Council is celebrating International Women's Day on the 8th of March with a week of community events and activities to highlight and recognise the achievements of women. Two key events are the presentation of the Inspirational Women of Yarra Award, Morning Tea and Awards Ceremony and Yarra's International Women's Day Business Luncheon. The Council is also hosting a range of exciting activities including women's panel discussions, art and photographic exhibitions, sombra and yoga classes, women's only swim session and mums and bubs story time. Check out yarracity.vic.gov.au or phone 9205555 for more information. City of Yarra is a 3CR supporter. Jail black males in Australia nationally at a rate five times greater than apartheid South Africa jailed black males in 1993. The suicide and self-harm rates are the highest in the world and the life expectancy gap is the biggest in the first world. You know, Australians don't like hearing the truth about how bad things are, but the more we resolve from it, the longer this is going to continue. Black fella, white fella, it doesn't matter what you colour. Mainstream media is not interested in this stuff. It doesn't find space to talk truthfully and deeply about issues that affect all Australians. The only place 
predominantly you will find that with any real depth is on community radio and 3CR has been one of the great leaders in that. So if people are wondering where they should spend their hard-earned cash, I would suggest 3CR is a bloody good place to start. What your name is, we got the hand. Lots of changes, we need more brothers. We've got a little bit of time before we leave you uh, and there's some interesting snippets in the newspapers this last week. Uh, As we've referred to in previous weeks, we have talked about the um, Commission of Inquiry into Sexual Abuse of Children and uh, we find out this week on the 15th of February that Brisbane Grammar and St Paul's uh, up in Queensland, these are Anglican schools, failed to investigate abuse allegations. That was from uh, 1979 to 2000. Uh, Also, Geelong Grammar took no steps to protect the students after there were abuse reports. And the actual, up, up there in Brisbane, the Brisbane Grammar School principal blamed the victim of sexual abuse themselves. Uh, and this, of course, is, is a pattern that you find. Uh, it certainly occurred with the Christian brothers. Uh, and uh, the Brisbane Archbishop told an abuse uh, victim to ditch his sinful path of litigation. So... Uh, one wonders about uh, so-called Christian schools of both the Anglican and the uh, Roman Catholic variety and other varieties as well here in Australia. Uh, it's a very sad, sad situation. But um, I'd note that uh, we have this extraordinary inquiry because of our Prime Minister Gillard... It was a very courageous thing she did to set it up and look at what's come out. But there has never been an inquiry into the Magdalene laundries in Australia, although those who are interested in women's rights uh, really should think about this. As well as this, uh, there is a bit of good news uh, from America. I'd like to refer you to um, an American Americans United for Separation of Church and State win. In Michigan, DeVos's home state, in a prayer case. Now, this is not uh, just a, uh, a dog's matter. This is a general separation of religion and the state matter. Because in America, they're very concerned when Christianity is imposed upon other people in the same way as here in Australia. We should be worried about this because if we allow it, then when other religious people come along and want to impose their belief system upon us, uh, we haven't got an argument against it, have we? Now, a federal appeals court in Michigan ruled two to one that county commissioners in Jackson County, Michigan, all of whom are Christian, can no longer deliver prayers that are exclusively Christian prior to their meetings. This was a huge legislative prayer case win for the Americans United in the 6th United States Circular Court of Appeals. The Americans United filed a friend of the court brief in the case, Bournemouth, versus County of Jackson, 
and an AU attorney, an Americans United attorney, argued the case for them. And they won. Uh, they argued that the prayer policy was unconstitutional and in either case a citizen has two options. First of all, to participate in a prayer that violates their conscience or to risk the commissioner's wrath, whatever might be motivating it. And they asserted that the Constitution prohibits Jackson County from putting citizens to that choice. And the appeals court correctly agreed with their argument that prayer practice violated church-state separation in America. But the case had some unfortunate consequences for the appellant, Bournemouth. He became a target for abuse from the commissioners. So that was uh, both a, a good thing and a not-so-good thing. But how often is that the case? Uh, when the uh, dogs took their case to the High Court of Australia, they weren't as fortunate uh, because Section 116 has unfortunately been pretty well read down and out of our Constitution, and I'm not sure that there is separation of religion in the state in Australia, and there certainly isn't freedom of religion. But um, in America, it is still holding uh, fairly strong on that level. And Betty DeVos will find that there are numerous cases in the Supreme Court when she starts to impose Christianity on the schools of America, the public schools of America. Uh, anything more that you have there, Robert, that you'd like to mention? No, not at all, Jane. It's... um. Well, it's time to finish up on the dogs program here on 3CR 855 and AM dial, but we will be back next week. Um, thanks to all our supporters, all our listeners, and all the people who contribute to the program every week. I really must thank you all. Um, some of you I can name, but others by the way, but we'll, of course, be doing that as we go um, on our dogs program. But if you're interested in what we have to say, then check us out on our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. And if you are a supporter of the Dogs Program, it's the time of year to subscribe. And I thank the people who have given me the money to give to 3CR to become subscribers to 3CR. So that but we, we still need more. So, that, so we'll be here next week. Thanks to you, our glorious supporters and indeed supporters of 3CR. Um, and until next week, it's bye for now.
horses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe. I didn't die, says Joe. I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill. Went on to organize. Went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your hill. It's there you find. Says he.